0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections.
1: Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Today's guest has a story that at times can be very difficult to listen to, but it's a story that needs to be
0: shared. Raymond Mason was taken from his home in Peguis First Nation as a child and moved hundreds of kilometers away to a residential school in Western Manitoba. Today he's sharing his story with us. As the nation grapples with last week's news of 215 children's bodies found in a mass grave outside an old residential residential school in British Columbia, we thought it'd be a good time to go back to an episode we aired earlier this year, talking with Elder Raymond Mason. He's a survivor of the residential school system, and he's written a book detailing his life uh, as a result of that system it 's called the spirit of the grassroots people
1: What was a typical day like for you as a child or a young person in a residential school? What did a day look like
2: oh we we got up and and uh and we used to uh, we used to have, a, have a, maybe we're made a sh- shower and uh I remember the old his name was uh Mr. Chasky, uh, David, I think uh, it was Dave Chasky or something. But anyway, uh, I remember getting uh, abused there too. Like you know, it, it wasn't good. I didn't, I didn't like showering because I knew this would happen. And and then we'd get dressed and go and have breakfast, or you know, and and uh, we would eat in the basement part of that building. And then the girls would come on one side, and we were on the other side. They kept us separate. You know, I went to that school in Bertolt, Manitoba, and, and I, I lived there, and I went to school there for two years. I didn't realize that my, two of my sisters was on the other side, on the female side. Wow. Two years in the same building, you know, and, and when we used to go to church, We'd, we'd uh, there'd, be, there'd be a big, long hallway, we'd meet in the center, and there'd be a bigger, wider hallway. And we had to stand on the right-hand side, and the female on the left-hand side. And we'd go in, uh, walk into the church, and that's where, uh, but that's where I, really, I, I looked, and I noticed my sister, Nora. And I started to scream and cry, and I ran across that, I guess that line, the invisible line that you're not supposed to break. And I went and grabbed her, and I started crying, and I was trying to hug her, and I was just, you know, apparently, I was shaking and trembling, and and that's when Mr. Russo, I don't know his first name, his principal, that's when he come and grabbed me, and and and, uh, and he used me again as a as an example, this is what you don't do when you. This is what you do. You don't do. You just, no, pardon. This is what happens when you break the rules, and then he starts strapping me and 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 he was holding me, and I was running around in, this, in the circle in front of in front of, the, of my my mates oh. and the girls too. You know, this I, is
0: punishment I, for running to hug your sister after seeing her for the first time in two years.
2: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Wow. You know, and and to have killed me because of that, you know, in front of everybody, it was terrible, terrible.
0: What do you feel were the long-lasting effects of all the trauma and the, the abuse that you experienced as a child? How did that play out in your adult life then?
2: Well, I came out of there a very confused, angry. Uh, person, I didn't know what I wanted in life, I didn't know, uh, you know, how to, how to live, uh, basically, because when you come out of that system, you know, you're brought up as a number. They never taught us uh, the facts of life, like, you know, when you leave this place, this is what's gonna you have to do, and then you have to learn how to go and buy your own clothes, wash your own clothes, pay your rental for wherever you live. Um, you know when you get a you know, look for a you have to get a job these things i, I didn't know mm. and and um you know and the impact personally it uh it affected me in different ways like uh, many different ways i can say um, you know I was angry, I was upset at anything and everybody and i I became an alcoholic um i didn't know how to be a parent. You know, and uh, I didn't know how to um, how to love somebody. You know, I had problems with um, with my relationships, and you know, I had no clue. And uh, I, you know, like I I, I didn't. It, so I had went through many many relationships. I went through a lot of breakups, and you know, and and, and you know, and and even my. My my wife, I finally got married after 27 years or 28 years, my first wife. Uh, later on in life with, uh, with her, she, she became to, uh, like, uh, be like a mother figure to me rather than a wife, you know. And uh, I was looking for, uh, I guess, affection or whatever. Being an alcoholic, it creates a lot of other problems. Lost a lot of jobs, uh, never made it to work. Lost a lot of good jobs, you know. And those are just some of the effects that it had me in, in life, you know. I was in jail a lot because, you see, uh, uh, during my lifetime, I liked boxing, so I was a boxer. And I was Canadian champ for three, t- three years, uh, wow. uh, literally, an amateur boxer. So when I went drinking in the bars, I didn't like white men, white people. And if you looked at me the wrong way, you got a lick mm. it. didn't matter how big or how small you were, you got it. And, and I had to end up in jail. And after many years of going back and forth in jail, I was finally sentenced to the go and spend time with a psychiatrist. I had to make make sure to go and see this. And this was when, after I left Winnipeg, I went to Alberta, Edmonton. And, you know... <clears throat> At first, I was so angry at this this judge. I, you know, I don't need a, a head shrink. Anyway, uh, I went and seen this psychiat- psychiatrist, and her name was Tracy Cook from Edmonton, Alberta. And, you know, that was the best thing that ever happened in my life. I, I sobered up. I went and spent time with this psychiatrist for two and a half years. And, uh, you know... Uh, Excuse me. Yeah, I get choked up when I talk about this.
0: Yeah, understandable.
2: It's it. it is about that point in life where I found myself after spending two and a half years with a psychiatrist. I was driving home where I was living in Edmonton that time, and uh, it's like somebody flipped the light switch in my in my brain, in my mind, and I thought, oh, this, you know, oh man. Oh, that's the reason why I was such a miserable person. Mm. That's the reason why I brought my children up like a sergeant. That's the reason why I, I, you know, I I treated my wife this way, not that way. That, you know, and and that is the reason why I didn't, I I didn't, I was such a, a miserable father, parent, because I realized then that I had to go back home to Winnipeg and and uh, start making amends for everybody including my children
0: your son and Kyle I, is on the line Kyle if you could jump in for a second what was that moment like when your dad uh, apologized to you was that something you were able to accept right away with understanding or something you had to work through yourself
3: uh, it's something i had to work through it, t- it took it took years for us to have an active um healthy uh, relationship that looked anything remotely like a father-son relationship. Um, I remember feeling really angry and very bitter uh, towards him. I was about 19 or 20 at the time, and uh, I remember thinking that, um, well, to watch my language, forget him, um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, by that point, I felt like I had grown up. Um, without him, I had missed everything in my life. I had not seen him in about eleven years at this point. Um, you know, I had gone through all my te- uh, adolescence and teenage years, all the all the ups and downs of of those years of my life. Um, many times, many times wishing my father was there I was never there. So I think I got to the point where I just felt angry and bitter, and and I said, you know, he basically missed my life already. So who needs him going forward? Um, and my, my journey on that was, um, and so I took that time, when he apologized, I took that time, and I kind of laid it out to him, and I kind of gave it to him. I said, here's all the ways you've hurt me. Here's all the ways you've failed me. Here's all the things you've missed, um, and I just put it all out there, and I think it was a very difficult conversation on both sides, but it, <clears throat> it was years later when I was uh, studying to become a pastor. Uh, I was taking some counseling courses um, in my studies, and one of the courses, you had to take turns sometimes being the counselor, sometimes receiving the counseling. And uh, I remember the, the professor said that you have to pick a real topic to talk about in the counseling session. It, it was a real counseling session. And I remember, you know, I guess the, the the fellow student being a good counselor kind of, you know, let's talk about your shelter, let's talk about your family. And anyways, we got to the point where um, the counselor, the fellow student said, you know, there. are there has to be a point where it might be best if you learn to forgive your father. And seeing it was, you know, in a Christian setting, he said, um, you've been given grace. You don't deserve grace. Nobody deserves grace. Your father does not deserve grace. Your father does not deserve your forgiveness. But you might be a better person um, if you learn to forgive him and you extend him grace. And that was um, that was the beginning of me Choosing to to forget my father and to build a relationship with him.
0: I know today you're very proud of your father, but how did you begin to repair that relationship? Was it just a matter of talking to one another, spending a bit of time with one another?
3: It started slowly. Uh, At first, you know, we would talk every few months. Um, You know, sometimes when he was in Winnipeg, we'd get together for a short coffee. Um, it, It was a slow build over a number of years. And, uh, and sometimes it, it was an intentional choice that I, that I made, uh, and I know it was a, not always the easiest thing for him as well, but it's something we both chose to do, and uh, I'm very thankful for it. These, these days, my father and I are very close, um, especially now with helping him with the book stuff. We talk basically daily. Um, I'm very proud of my father and the, the progress he's made in life, uh, the healing that he has done, and the steps of reconciliation that he has done and has attempted to make in his life, uh, I, these days I'm I'm proud to call myself his his son, and I'm and I'm proud of him and his efforts.
2: First of all, thank you, son. I love you very much for that. And uh, again, you know, uh, I guess that's the reason why we never fished, Didn't did much fishing together, and hunting and things that we should have did, you know, <laughs> together. And. Uh, but I'm glad and I'm, I'm happy about, for that, son. Thank you very much.
1: And despite the obstacles that both of you have faced, you both have become very successful in your life.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I always say, like I said before, the good thing I can say is that I did get an education and I, and I started to concentrate on, on reconciliation, not only with myself, but with my abusers and the system. You know, and uh, I felt that I had to get—I guess I can say, in layman's language—revenge or mm-hmm. make them make Canada uh, accountable for all the abuses they, that they put me through. You know, and when I began in 1986, uh, I, you know, I was sober for for a number of years by that time, and. I, I thought, well, I'm going to go after Canada. I'm going to make them personally. At first, they was just for me. And, and I'm going to go after them and, and make them uh, pay me for what they did. That's the, the, that's the best way to do it, to make them think and hurt government, is to take money out of their, their pockets. That, that was my thinking at, at that time. So I made it my personal mission that I would begin to advocate not only for myself but for the rest of the survivors throughout Canada because, you know, I, 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 uh, at that time I didn't realize uh, the, the enormity or the scope of of the survivor issue across Canada. I didn't realize I was starting something that would, would uh, mushroom or... Go into the to what it it worked out, you know. So I I, so I did play a a very key role in the fruition of the Indian Residential School Agreement and also an Indian Day School Agreement. I I pushed the issues. I I was behind the scenes, you might as well say, but I always kept it alive. I I spoke to people that I, I felt that could help me. Uh, do the right thing and to get the job done and you know there was lawyers that was, was scared to, to take this case on at the, at the beginning because because uh, they were they were afraid of retribution from the government yeah you know and uh, and, and so I you know like I said I'm gonna go back to 1986 I said that I would never rest in peace until I I receive and get comp- uh, justice, compensation, and an apology, and to teach our people outside Indian country what happened to us as Indian people, that went through this, this system that I went through.
0: I think so many of us just truly don't understand. Like I said, I grew up just you know twenty minutes away from the residential school in Birtle. I played baseball in the valley below the residential school, but had no idea until recently the true injustice that took place. Uh, You've been advocating since 1986. How does it feel to finally be seeing results, or do you feel we're seeing the results we need to be seeing in this country yet?
2: I I feel that, uh, um, you know, I feel good about it. Uh, However, the job is not done. You know, uh, there's approximately 200,000 plus, maybe 260 to 265 people that didn't get anything out of the, didn't receive their justice from either the agreement, the day school or the residential school agreement, simply because Canada is saying that, oh, we didn't own those buildings. Wow. They're, they're, those buildings are, are owned by either by the, the provincial government, or by the churches, different various churches, or by or publicly and, and privately owned schools. And you know, so we we didn't we didn't have no staff member, we didn't have no board members on 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 their operation. So therefore, we're not responsible for what went on within the four walls. That's what the, so the job is, I would say, 70% or 60% done in terms of um, completing reconciliation with the survivors in Canada. I made a presentation to uh, Mark uh, Mark Miller, I think his name is, uh, in in December of 2019, I think, last December, uh, December 3rd, I made a presentation. To them, and I said, it's, It doesn't matter. It doesn't, to me, that is a, a, a feeble excuse to, to weasel out of your responsibility because Can-, I said, Canada, you put us there mm-hmm. as a child. And when you did that, you had a legal fiduciary obligation for our safety and well being, and you grossly breached that. And therefore, to say that you know what went on within those four walls, and it doesn't matter what kind of a building or what kind of a, who owned those buildings, you put us there. And, and furthermore, I said, I say that um, Canada should be held responsible for child abduction, because that's what it's all about. Child abduction taking, taking us away from our parents, our community and our culture.
0: In your in your book, Mr. Mason, Spirit of the Grassroots People, you share about your experience in the schools as a child. Uh, you also share about the work that you and your colleagues have been doing over the years for reconciliation and justice. What was it like uh, to write that book and work through all these memories again?
2: It wasn't easy. It took me at least two years. You know, I would type, and I'd break down, and I'd give, and come, t- tell my wife, "Oh, I gotta take a break. I can't handle it." Mm. You know, I, I gotta, I, you know, to to to, to live it, and, and and then dig up it's like digging up old bones, you know. Yeah. And uh, and t- and type it. It was very difficult, but I had to do it. I had to do it. I felt I had to do it because I wanted to show my readers. That what I'm saying, I lived it. I, I I experienced it. Therefore, I have a right to write and say what I want about about that experience. And 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 like I said in my book, I represent all the survivors of Canada because. I'm only one person of many thousands of people that experienced uh, experienced the uh, what we went on in the colonial educational system. You know, so it it was very very difficult to say the least. But I, I managed.
0: What do you hope comes out of this book for people that read it? Both maybe for survivors or the daughters and sons of survivors, as well as for uh uh settler Canadians that might read it as well, what are your hopes?
2: Well I hope that <clears> the <throat> people outside the Indian country will uh, will understand us as Indian people understand the impact that it had on on us culturally you know uh you know uh, will understand why the jails are ninety percent Full of in, uh, in uh, the inmates are full of of uh, native inmates. You know, uh, you, you look you take a look at those and talk to those, some of those people that are, was in jail. You'll find out that all or most. Uh, we found out around uh, ninety four or ninety three percent were came from the colonial educational system. Mm-hmm. They went through. The, Are are sleeping. Our people are sleeping in corners, passed out. or you know. And, and white people say, "Oh, look at that dirty drunk." That we are we are here to help them resolve their black eye in the history of the world. What they do to us as, a, as a as a as a people, as Indian people, and you know, and I said we're we're here to work with you to help to resolve what what's wrong that you did, just and. And, uh,
0: you know, it's so difficult. How can we, just as individuals, what are the steps we can take to move towards reconciliation and uh, resolve what has taken place in the past?
2: Well, first of all, we have to forgive ourselves. Hmm. We learned how to forgive ourselves, you know, and for the way we thought and the way, the way we, the, the negative ways that we thought about it as, as we got older. And then secondly, we got to forgive the people that did, did us wrong. You know, we got to forgive them because if we, if we don't, it will be very very difficult, you know, for us to, 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 um, to, to um, accomplish what you want to do. And and the third thing, the third thing I think is really important is when we talk about reconciliation, Canada has to be involved with that. They can't. Just say okay. Let the, we know what we need to do. We know we know what has to happen in order to have uh, reconciliation with uh, with each other in Canada. And Canada has to be involved. They should be in, in the sweats with us. They should be with uh, learning our culture. You know. You know, like sending uh, teachers to our communities to teach us uh, education and all that. Do those teachers know our culture? Do they know anything about us as Indians? No. Yeah. You know, things like that has to happen, and, and they have to uh, have complete reconciliation of Canada until those people that I spoke about, I went to those schools that missed out on those two agreements. Uh, they have to be given their justice as well because, uh, you know, it's a form of discrimination because... I, I feel bad when a family member of mine uh, did not get didn't didn't get anything, and yet I got my check. You know, hmm. I'm going to the bank, and and your family relatives are watching it, and you know, and it hurts. You know, and and, uh, and to me, that's discrimination. And and secondly, we will never ever have complete reconciliation. With us and work over an agreement, and the, and the other thing, like I told Mark Miller, I, I, Minister Mark Miller, I, you know, I told him that why are we alone? I said, who has the authority? Here? You or the courts? Because the court system seems to be dictating on how to correct their black eye. Like I told them, we can we can work work on an agreement that will satisfy all there are different uh, survivors that are left out. And you don't need to go to court for each type of school. Like, that's what they're making us do. They're telling us to, uh, uh, you know, if you went to the province, provincial schools, take us to court. You go to church, different types of church uh, schools, take us to court, you know, like, and that's very, very tedious, very long, very costly. And meanwhile, we're all dying off by the thousands year and this is this is awful
1: and now hopefully your book spirit of the grassroots people is going to reach even more there who don't understand what went on and and what needs to be done where can people pick up the book
2: you can pick up, pick it up very uh, well on all the major bookstores They come.
3: yeah we could jump in here uh my father's book is
2: available in every major
3: book outlet it's also available um use the online portals as well uh and you know, locally you can find it on uh McNally's uh website you can also find it in McNally itself mm-hmm. but uh you can pick it up where through uh most places like chapters and etc uh you can also find it on Amazon it's, it it's a very easy to find it. it's widely available as people of faith um, we're part, we're part of a faith that teaches love and forgiveness and reconciliation that is the core being of our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and I think it's important to note um, that is what we Indigenous peoples are seeking. We're seeking reconciliation. We're seeking to reconcile our relationship with non-Indigenous Canada. We're not asking for um, for people to get off our land and get off the continent and go back to where they came from or anything like that. We're not asking um, uh, for anything except for right relationship. After all this time, after all this abuse, after all this evil, we're simply asking to reconcile and repair a relationship. We're not asking to destroy it. We're not asking to end the relationship. We're asking to reconcile. And I think as people of faith, that's something that we sometimes forget. Uh, that that is what we Indigenous peoples are trying to do. That is what my father is trying to advocate his whole life for. And uh, it's something that we as people of faith need to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, that phrase, right relationship, I mean, that sounds pretty familiar to Christians. I think Jesus brought us into right relationship with God. And yeah, indigenous people in Canada are hoping to have right relationship with everybody else.
1: Thank you, Kyle, and thank you, Raymond, for both joining us over the past three days to discuss this very important topic. Remember, don't forget to subscribe to Connections with Mike Tom and Colleen Hood. You can listen to this conversation as well as many others there. You can do that by visiting podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. We'll talk to you again on Connections.